This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. And a good Thursday to you. Hello there. How's it going? Heath Klein in for Chuck for another day. The King will be back for 2024, but we're keeping you up to speed on everything going on in college football between now and then. And of course, there's a lot happening. It's bowl time. And more than ever, bowls are kind of a mixed bag as to what you're getting. Last night, you saw what the best of a bowl could be. And you also saw why for some people, bowls are not really something they're as engaged in as maybe they once were. Uh, for West Virginia last night, that win was a huge deal for them. Absolutely huge deal. You look at the crowd, estimates were about 80 to 90% West Virginia fans. That was for a game West Virginia was playing in Charlotte, North Carolina against North Carolina. <laughs> That's not supposed to be where you take over, but West Virginia fans love to travel love to support their football team, and they did not expect to be in a bowl this year. They thought they were going to be talking about their new coach after they fired Neil Brown. And instead, what do you know? Things come together. They win eight in the regular season. They get to cap it off with a win against a program that's kind of a brand-name program in North Carolina, even though uh, this movie keeps playing out the same way over and over for them at the end of the season. Yeah, you get to win in, in Charlotte and celebrate. What a great time. However... At the same time, you also last night had a Texas A&M team that's trying to cobble it together with a, a transitional coach who's already on his way out the door. Quarterback gets hurt on the very first play from scrimmage. They actually fought. It wasn't a, a, anything to be embarrassed about. But if you're a Texas A&M fan, it also wasn't representative of what your team was this year. It wasn't fun to watch. It didn't inspire you for the next season. And there's too many times where it plays out like that. And so there's a lot of people trying to figure out, okay, so so how do we keep the good of the bowl season? How do we keep that chance to end your year on a really positive note, maybe have some momentum for next year, or really tie a bow on it? How do we keep that and try and alleviate the stuff that's taken the air out of some of these games, all the opt-outs? Is there anything that can be done about that? Honestly, probably not that much. But there is one thing that I do think next year is going to help all of college football, even the bowl games that aren't in it, and that's the 12-team expanded playoff. Because yesterday, as much as you and I love college football, if you're listening to this show, yesterday, what was getting the headlines? Was it press conferences leading up to the critical games that are going to be played on Monday to determine who plays for college football's national championship? Nah. Was it any of the bowl games that were actually getting played that day? Of course not. No, the thing that took over the news was the NFL. 
Russell Wilson of the Broncos, he's getting benched. What does it mean for right now for them? What does it mean for him? Is this guy going to be completely a free agent? Is there any chance he'd be traded, or is he just going to get cut? If he does get cut, where's he going to go? Bang, bang, bang. A zillion different angles you could run with that storyline yesterday. And so even though you had Harbaugh, who's been pretty much invisible for most of the non-game situations, and even in games this year, invisible for half the season, you had Harbaugh talking yesterday, you had Saban talking yesterday, you had important stuff happening, but it still got drowned out by one NFL story, just one. And that's before, in markets like New York, you had a quarterback change, D.C., a quarterback change. And that's because the way we have done the postseason up to this point for college football says, all right, they announce the teams the next time you need to pay attention Unless you're a hardcore fan. And again, if you're listening to the Chuck Oliver show, I think it's safe to say you probably are more of a college football fan than the random American anywhere in the country is. But for that guy, the message is, yeah, you don't need to pay attention to any of this other stuff until we get to January 1st. But next year, that won't be the message. Next year, it'll be, wow, we've got four games being played on campus the first ever games on campus in the playoff. Wow, look at some of these matchups. Wow, this is a big deal. You need to pay attention to this. And we pay attention to those games, and you stay engaged. Oh, wow, I can't believe the first time that a five seed lost to a 12, and it's in the first year. I can't believe it. Wow, Liberty was good enough to beat fill-in-the-blank. I can't believe it. When you have that kind of storyline... And now it's moving to another week. It's going to keep you engaged in college football, the casual fan in college football, in a way that I think is going to help all of these other games. Now, again, does that mean the players are going to stay to play? That's going to probably require, in some cases, money. And in other cases, maybe it's going to be a need to adjust some things with regards to how we're doing some things with the calendar. The problem is it's hard to move the transfer portal. You could move the signing period, and they should. But as we've talked about, you can't really adjust the transfer portal because this is all still tied into academics. And so if you're going to transfer in time to be there for the next semester, you can't say, well, we're going to start the transfer portal window January 15th. It needs to be as this semester wraps up and you have time before the new one, unless you're going to start saying guys can only transfer after spring, which unless you're going to do that for everybody, that wouldn't hold up. So you can't adjust the transfer portal. Maybe you could come up with a way to better compensate certain athletes to get them to play in bowl games. But again, if you're somebody like a Brock Bowers, who has a clear-cut first-round future, it's hard to imagine an extra 100000 or $200,000 from the Orange Bowl if you don't think it's in your interest to play in the game because of the injury risk, that kind of thing. Very hard to imagine that there's anything a bowl game is going to be able to pay you that makes any sense that would make it seem like the better choice now to play. Now, I saw today, for example, a Boston College offensive lineman opted out of their bowl game who was a starting offensive lineman who considers himself to have an NFL future. He's not a dude who's being projected in the first round, but he's opting out. I don't know. Maybe if that bowl said, hey, we got 50 grand with your name on it, maybe he'd play. I don't know. So maybe there's some guys you could get to stick around, but there's some you're never going to be able to. So I don't think you could solve the problem that way. But I do think keeping people engaged in December, not saying even the Heisman Trophy ceremony this year, 
The Heisman Trophy ceremony has dropped in the ratings over and over and over again. Why is it dropping in the ratings? Because people don't need to watch an hour of the Heisman Trophy anymore. They can just get the alert on their phone. Oh, yeah, the guy I thought was going to win one. How about that? Oh, wow, they gave it to the guy from LSU. I didn't know they were going to give it to that guy. Okay. The days of, wow, I've got I've to watch it, for a lot of people, those have faded. The talk about the Heisman Trophy, for a while it was just absolutely inescapable. Every single dude, oh, this guy's a Heisman candidate, that guy's a Heisman candidate. You didn't hear that as much this year, honestly. It just seems like the, the light on the Heisman has, has faded a little bit. And that was the only thing for the casual that might have kept them engaged between the announcement and the games themselves. Next year, it won't be like that. You have a week-in, week-out need to stay engaged, and I think that'll help make a difference in at least how much enjoyment people can get out of some of these other games. Are there too many bowls? I would argue no. A whole whole piece today that the folks at 24-7 put up arguing for the idea that they need to move the bowls to spring, that they need to get most of the bowls out of where they are right now and move them to spring and have them be spring exhibitions and people. No, 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 no. That's a, that's a terrible idea. Forget it. The bowls are what they are, and if you take them and you put them in spring, they're no longer the bowls. If you want to have spring football games, go ahead and do that. Coaches have argued forever. You know what would be more useful for us than a spring game where we try and divide a team that already is down to like 60 guys or so, depending on how many dudes graduated and whatnot, and how many of the freshmen enrolled early, splitting it in half and trying to play a game for the alums is not really all that helpful to us. What would be a lot more helpful would be to actually play an exhibition game, whether that be a game against an FCS team or another FBS team that's not on our schedule and not in our conference, uh, that it might be a lot more useful if, just to pick a a school, if a Georgia could play, we'll say Wake Forest. Again, those teams aren't going to schedule each other anytime soon. They're not likely to see each other in a bowl. If they could agree to play a spring game in one of the two campuses and put it on TV, heck, if you want to, you could say that all the money from it has to go to a charity or something like that. That would do both of those teams more good in a spring game with the understanding you're not going to play starters the whole game. You're not going to treat it like a competitive game. You're going to get everybody in. You're going to see what guys look like against other competition. The whole point is to evaluate, not to quote-unquote win the game, even though everybody's going to want to win the game. That would do a lot more good than what we do in spring football. But that's not a bowl game. A bowl game is supposed to be, for the kids, a fun reward at the end of the year. For the places that host the bowl games, it's supposed to be something traditionally that brings some tourists in to spend some money because most sane people do not want to be in Birmingham on December 23rd unless they've got family ties, something special that makes them go there. I don't know about you. I've never once said, you know what would be pretty cool for Christmas this year? Birmingham. You know what would be awesome? Christmas in Detroit, baby. Quick lane bowl on the 26th. Celebrate in downtown Detroit and then go to the game the next day. Magnificent. Dream come true. I don't think anybody's ever done that. But bowl game, you do. You have people who actually will go to those places, spend some money. So for them, it's supposed to be a tourism play. They don't need a tourism play in some of these places in, in March or April. You think it's hard to get people to go to Florida any time of year? Not really. But when you can sell the message to people from Wisconsin or Iowa, wherever, hey, go to one of these Florida cities in December, that's an easy, easy sell. That's big deal money for them right then. Say we're going to take it to spring doesn't make any sense. 
We just need people more engaged, people more interested. And I think the playoff, even for the non-playoff games, is going to help a lot with that. Because, again, last night, West Virginia, watching those folks go crazy. Uh, Neil Brown pretty clearly wasn't loving life having to do the Mayo bath, but still knowing that this is a celebration of a win that might keep me in this job for another two years as opposed to just one year. Now I've bought myself some goodwill, even if next year is like a six, seven win season, I bought myself some goodwill for a while. He's willing to take one for the team with the Mayo bath and that kind of environment, what we've got going on with the pop tarts bowl, more on that later, but we got going on with the pop tarts bowl. That's where these games can be fun. They can be at their best. You get some matchups. You don't see that often. They still have a lot to offer. It's not in the spring. I hate that idea. I think that makes no sense whatsoever. Some of these games never had much to offer in the first place. You're talking about teams you and I don't watch playing in a game that's not being designed for anything other than for ESPN's cameras to be there. Uh, The New Mexico Bowl, for example, that's nothing against New Mexico, but it was created by ESPN. It's owned by ESPN. It could just as easily be played on a soundstage in Los Angeles, but for whatever reason, probably tax reasons, they said, we'll we'll create something in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They don't expect people to travel to that bowl. They don't get people to travel to that bowl unless they've got New Mexico or New Mexico State in the bowl playing somebody that's within an easy drive, which means about four to six teams at max that could qualify. Boise, they know. They're not stupid. They know there weren't really that many Georgia State fans that were going to get on a plane and head out to Boise, Idaho a week before Christmas. But it still is something that gives them a little spark, a little attention. It has value. I think the 12-teamer is going to help it. But it definitely needs some help. Some of these games have been kind of rough. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath in for Chuck today. When you get yourself a quarterback, you hope you've gotten the answer to all your problems But we got another reminder yesterday that just because you land that dude who's supposed to be that high four-star, that five-star, that future program savior, you don't always know what you're getting. And it's especially a cautionary tale, in my mind, for another kid that's signing this particular year. We'll explain coming up here on The Chuck Oliver Show. Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show, Heath Klein in for Chuck today, hanging out with you. Glad you could be here, be a part of things with us. Uh, So, look, the transfer portal is real and it is not necessarily spectacular, but it is definitely a huge factor in what goes on these days. And there's all kind of kids that go into the portal. There's names you've never heard of that may be moving up a rank and turns out that they're going to be a really special player for somebody, but you just don't know about it yet. Sometimes that's a D2 kid or a kid from a Sunbelt school. There's that. There's also, though, the kids that find themselves on the move now sometimes for third time, not even two, three guys on the move because they just can't find that right spot. If you're a quarterback and you're constantly on the move, it is hard for me to believe that you are somebody that I want leading my team. And I acknowledge that it is not always a kid's fault. But there's one kid that hit the portal today that just is the perfect example of the kind of story I'm talking about. 
And it makes me wonder particularly about another kid in this year's class that has so much hype on him. And his storyline, at least in high school, is almost identical. Do you remember a guy named Jake Garcia? Jake Garcia hit the portal today. If you're saying, Jake Garcia, I remember, I remember Stephen Garcia. Who is Jake Garcia? Well, you wouldn't have been saying that three years ago. Because Jake Garcia was rated as a supposed top 25 prospect, not top 25 quarterback, top 25 prospect in the country. Young man originally out of California who famously transferred to Georgia. This was when California canceled their high school season, transferred to Georgia to try and finish out his high school career, got declared ineligible at the Georgia high school in Valdosta. He originally planned to go to transferred to another high school, wound up for his career, though. It was like, well, I mean, the COVID that's outside of his factor. He wound up going to five high schools, five Long Beach Poly, Narbonne, La Habra, all before the COVID stuff, then Valdosta briefly, then on to Grayson High. Five high schools in one career for Jake Garcia. And you say, well, geez, I mean, he must have had a great arm. He must have looked great in these camps because how could he have impressed anybody that much with what he could do at a high school when he's never staying at a high school long enough to even really know his teammates, know what they're about, know how to lead them. That, that, that can't be good. But, hey, top 25 prospect. I'm sure he'll do well. Maybe he'll be more decisive in college. Well, you remember where he originally committed? That was USC. They didn't go to USC. He flipped his commitment and went to Miami. And after being in Miami for two years, not getting on the field but for one start, peace out. I'm off to Missouri. And after one year in Missouri, well, take a guess. Portal again. I, look, maybe he'll turn out to live up to the potential for somebody. I just don't even understand how the potential was supposedly that good in the first place. I just, I don't know how you can lead if you're never staying in one place or committed to anything. If you are completely a mercenary for yourself and your own interests at all times, I don't know how you can lead effectively. And to this point, at least on the college level, they haven't seen evidence he can, apparently, because otherwise he would have gotten on the field. Now, he tried to play at Miami. He tried to play at Missouri. Maybe he's a guy who needs to drop down a level. Maybe he'll get to a Sun Belt or Conference USA school, and it'll be the right spot. Maybe. But you tend to doubt it, frankly, when a guy's had five high schools, and now the fourth, whatever he picks next, the fourth place he will have said, this is the right spot for me for college, only two of which he bothered to show up at. And, of course, the guy this makes me think of is Dylan Riola. Riola, of course, famously originally committed to Ohio State, flipped that commitment, went to Georgia, flipped on that commitment, is now going to be at Nebraska. In the era of the portal, in the era of NIL, if he has a good year at Nebraska, you would think with the family connections he would stay put. But could you rule out that maybe a year later, if Georgia's quarterback job is open and he's not having a great time in Lincoln, would you rule out the idea that he would say, you know what? I liked Athens. Maybe I'm going to go to Athens after all. Would you rule that out? Because I sure wouldn't rule that out. I just wonder about a guy like that. And remember, that's a guy, four high schools. So four high schools, three commitments. Again, he's a different player probably a little bit higher touted even than Jake Garcia was. Maybe he'll be fine. 
But for those of you who were skeptical about him to begin with, Garcia, I mean, the roadmap is almost identical. The only difference is in the case of Rayola, you don't have the COVID reason to transfer all the way to Georgia. Remember, too, that, that kid's parents literally got divorced so he could do that. I mean, how, how out there are you about trying to have your son succeed in high school football that it makes sense to you to say, let's get divorced so that we can successfully get him to the high school of choice. Um, it's just wild. And so I'm not surprised at all he's on the move again. I, in fact, I would have been surprised if he wasn't on the move again. But I do think it's a cautionary tale and one that people should be paying attention to. Uh, coming up, we are going to check in on FSU. I am fascinated by what they're going to try and do with this bowl game. Can you rally the troops, the guys that are left? Can you make a statement can you say we're doing this to try and stick it to ESPN or stick it to the whoever you blame for your problems? Can you do that? There were some people who were trying to convince them that they should protest, that they should walk out on the field and just refuse to play the game, say we're, we're a playoff team, we're only playing in a playoff game, we won't play. I, I, there's been no sign that anybody's listening to that. But if they were, the only way it would be effective is if you did do it as some kind of a surprise. I don't think that's going to happen. But would you be totally shocked if it did, given how many kids have already opted out? Like, would you absolutely say, I can't believe such a thing would happen? I I would not be totally shocked. I don't think it will, but I would not be totally shocked if at least there was some kind of protest. Even if they said, hey, we won't play for five minutes to try and prove our point. Wouldn't shock me a bit. You got a bunch of guys that could look to prove a point if they win the game, declare themselves national title winners, but... Do they have enough resources to do that? Probably not. Where's their mindset? So we're going to check in and find out kind of where things stand right now. With that FSU team, schedule will be joined by Kurt Weiler from the Osceola and get some perspective on how exactly you get ready for a game when you have had such a kick-in-the-teeth feeling from that game. So we will head down to South Florida to get that perspective for you next. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Chuck Oliver Show. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show chuck oliver show rolling on he's Klein in for chuck today and, you know, one of the things we talked about with the Bulls, if you're looking at Bulls and you're trying to figure out, hey, why aren't some of these games going as well? One of the things is that you've put some bowl games in some places that are not exactly conducive to great experiences. So, for example, yesterday you had the game in Annapolis, and you've got just it's, – it's 50s or so temperatures. It's driving sideways rain. And you could just tell <laughs> Tulane and Virginia Tech, they're, they're both out there. They're trying. They're giving it their best. But at the same time, is this a fun experience? Is this what you'd like your bowl game to be? Probably not. Uh, there's no coincidence that in Atlanta, for example, the Peach Bowl now is a big deal. It's a part of the college football playoff bowl rotation on the playoff level, uh, host semifinals sometimes. Back before 
it went indoors, it didn't do nearly as well. Way too many wet, cold, dreary peach bowls. Once it got indoors in the dome, it kept growing and growing and growing. Now you got a game between Boston College and SMU at Fenway Park, and it's it's just nasty conditions. No, nobody's nobody's digging that. We got to do a better job of getting bowls in the right places. One that is absolutely in the right place every year is any bowl that's in the state of Florida, particularly, of course, the Orange Bowl. And yet this year, eh, some some mixed feelings about that one from the teams that are there. Joining us to talk about one of those. Kurt Weiler, he is the senior writer covering FSU for the Osceola. That is a Rivals production. Kurt, appreciate you making some time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, Kurt, for for this team, I mean, being if you'd said before the season, ACC champs, Orange Bowl, I'm, I'm guessing that would have felt like a pretty good year, but obviously things have changed. What, what's it been like, this, this whole lead-up? to this game with the mixture of anger and frustration that is existing in Tallahassee right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been bizarre. I think you're, you're dead on. I mean, you're leaving off the, the caveat of also 13-0, and 0, but I think if you had offered that to Florida State fans in particular at the start of the season, that's not how players or coaches think, but fans at the start of the season, I mean, I think saw a, the ACC championship as a, a stepping stone in the right direction. But uh, no, I mean, it's been... a. Uh, it's been a weird few weeks in Tallahassee around the program for sure. I mean, they, they, the team talked a lot about, I mean, all the guys that came back and it was January to January was their big kind of mantra. They kind of, in their eyes, certainly did all they could. I mean, they won all 13 games and a historic snub has kind of uh, made it so that it's going to be, unfortunately, a very different uh, looking Florida State team on the, on the field on Saturday. So uh, it's been, uh, it's been weird. I mean, I still, I still, think about it like for every few days it's kind of still like wow i can't believe that happened fsu fans on social media are notoriously salty compared to even your average fan base so with something to feel righteous about they've kind of taken it to a new level over the last few weeks i'm curious has that trickled down to the players i mean obviously they'd be crazy if they weren't disappointed but is there this feeling of we have a chance to stick it to somebody let's prove a point or is it just more hey those of us who are here let's just try and and find a way to win a football game i mean i think there was hope in the immediate aftermath that that mentality would kind of make guys who otherwise probably wouldn't play in the orange bowl who 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 may have who may be off to the nfl draft whether they're out of eligibility or whether they're they have eligibility left on the table i think there was initial hope especially in the fan base, that uh, it would make more people play in the game to kind of try and prove it right. That hasn't exactly proven to be the case. Some guys have stuck around, and it is a testament to them. But I think it's, I mean, 18 guys off the, uh, off the two deep from the ACC championship game, the depth chart, are, uh, are not with the team uh, this week and not going to play in that game. So I think it's, I mean, I think they, they want to finish undefeated. I think that means something. And obviously it gets to a pretty funky situation. I know uh, – there's been some talk about what if Florida State were to win, which they're a pretty heavy underdog, but weird things can happen in Bulls. Bulls are pretty unpredictable. And what if both the undefeated teams left in the playoffs, uh, neither of them wins at all? I mean, it creates, if there's one undefeated team that wasn't in the playoff, it creates that weird dynamic that I thought the uh, college football playoff was supposed to uh, get rid of. But uh, no, I think, uh, I think they're, they just want to finish it the right way, Those the guys who have stuck around. So let's get into what they actually are now, because just because someone hasn't played doesn't mean they are not talented. In the case of 
Uh, Glenn, for example, you're talking about a guy, a quarterback, who was originally an Ohio State commitment, then picked FSU. Clearly a talented player. He's just a guy who hasn't played much. He's had more time to get ready for this game. The Rodemaker news to us came down, obviously, early this week. Did they know? Did they have an inkling that that was coming? Or or were they preparing like Rodemaker was the starter and, and not Glenn? Uh, I, they were preparing for Rodemaker to start for sure. I think. I mean, it, 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 anytime when your choice is between whatever you think of the guys' futures, and I think Brock Glenn was always going to factor more into their future plans. I think they wanted to have the fourth-year guy, the guy who's been around, instead of throwing a a, a true freshman into this situation. The Rodemaker, it, it kind of it did catch. I think caught them off guard. It was something that came together uh, late, and that's definitely something that's been a frustration within the fan base. I think some people have kind of said, "Well, hey." We could have been preparing Brock this whole time, and I'm sure they rotate some. Brock was, I'm sure, working some with the first team, but he was not the primary guy through a lot of their bowl practices before they headed down there for the game. Yeah, that's a tough situation. I didn't know if maybe they knew something that the rest of the world didn't know and had gotten him at least maybe equal first-team reps or something like that. But for people who only maybe saw him in the final game or didn't even watch that game and see him at all, what is Brock Glenn at this moment as a player capable of, do you think? That's an interesting question. I mean, he uh, he is definitely capable of more than he put on display in the ACC championship game where I think he had 55 passing yards. He was 8 of 21. Mind you, I think he was not helped by a few drops. I think he could have had better numbers that would have looked at least a little more respectable. Um, I mean, we, we get to watch enough practice where we've seen, I mean, what he's capable of and why he's a guy who, who could factor into their long-term plans. I don't think he's going to be the starter next year. It seems like Florida State's in the transfer market. But it seems like he's a guy who could very well be the guy come come 2025, either him or uh, incoming freshman Luke Cromenhawk. I mean, he's he's athletic enough where he can definitely beat you with his legs. We've seen some uh, some impressive arm talent out on the practice field. We've also seen the, the, the mistakes you expect from a freshman who's still kind of getting acclimated. I wonder, the thing is, I mean, what he thought was on the line. I mean, I think everybody pretty much thought if Florida State won that game with, with Brock Glenn or with, that, with whoever at quarterback, they were going to be in the playoffs. So imagine the pressure that I could put on a true freshman. It's not to say, I mean, there's not pressure now. There is. I mean, he's going against a talented defense that I think is is largely going to have its its starters and its too deep available as compared to Florida State. But I wonder what not having the pressure of feeling like he has to win to make the playoffs could do for maybe. I mean, it, maybe that eases some uh, some stress for him and makes him play a little uh, a little freer because there are definitely moments where he. Uh, looked like a true freshman and looked like he was – you could feel the – you could almost see the pressure on him in that ACC championship game. Kurt Waller with us from the Osceola taking a look at FSU as they get ready to take on Georgia in the Orange Bowl here on the Chuck Oliver Show. So, uh, Kurt, with regards to the rest of that offense, one of the things I had kind of wondered about is that, okay, so Glenn – probably in practice wasn't getting all that many reps with guys like Wilson and Coleman and and Jaheim Bell, the guys that were the starters. Is there at least a possibility that maybe the kind of guys he would have been working with in his reps are now the kind of guys who are playing? Maybe he at least has some chemistry with them that isn't necessarily something anybody knows about. I think it's possible. I mean, I think, I think you are right in that. I mean, Three of the six guys at wide receiver now on the on the new depth chart are true freshmen who who came in with Brock and who, like you said, he's been practicing with uh, a good bit, definitely more than Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson this season. So it's an interesting case. I mean, this it, it becomes almost. I mean, you you don't want to say, especially a game like the Orange Bowl, as prestigious as it is. I mean, it'll be a playoff quarterfinal starting next year. 
you don't want to say it, it doesn't mean anything for now, but this definitely feels like more a looking ahead. And, I mean, it, it presents some opportunities for some of those freshman wide receivers who, yes, maybe are a bit comfortable, more comfortable with, uh, with Brock Glenn, know how he throws the ball, know how he wants to operate the offense, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see his, how he works with, I mean, a Hiking Williams, of Andreavius Jacobs, a Dustin Hill, and the other guys who have, uh, who have stuck around. FSU also loses a tailback. How are they depth-wise behind him? What, if anything, changes about how they try to run the ball without him? Um, uh, so let me put it to you this way. They're actually down three tailbacks. Two, two transferred out, and Trey Benson's their, their primary is off to the NFL draft. Uh, two of the four guys on the depth chart at running back were receivers this season. In Ja'Kai Douglas and, and Josh Burrell. They have a few. I mean, Kaziah Holmes is probably going to be the, I imagine, get get a load of the carries. Sorry, they're actually down four running backs. I forgot about one who's out with an injury um, in Lawrence Toa Philly. But Kaziah Holmes was productive this year, didn't play a ton. I think he had like four touchdowns on 25 touches total. I think he had two rushing touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns, and kind of a rotational role. So it, it, he's a Penn State transfer. He's a former four-star recruit. He, I mean, the talent's there. We've seen him take advantage of some opportunities. I imagine he'll have uh, plenty more opportunities Saturday against Georgia, and it could be quite a way for him to kind of make his case for, for a, a larger role in the rotation next year. Obviously, defensively, they've taken hits, too. You can't replace a guy like Verse, for example, but they haven't taken quite as many, it appears, as they've taken on the offensive side of the depth chart. What's feasible for them over there? Yeah, Verse is a big one, and then they're down, I think, three secondary starters. But they are only down four starters on uh, on defense, which, is, yes, is, is less than the offense for sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, there's still a bit of unknown. It feels like about Georgia, who's playing for Georgia. I think uh, Brock Bowers is a little up in the air. I think Ladd McConkey, their, their, their talented receiver, is a little up in the air. Obviously, Carson Beck's playing. Uh, I think uh, they may be down an offensive lineman or two. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it feels like it's a number of guys, like I, like I talked about on the other side of the ball, guys who are going to be starting for maybe the first time, but who are probably going to be likely starters next year. So uh, it's not an easy way to ease into things, but it's a, a chance for them to uh, show, show their mettle a bit. And I mean, obviously, the, I guess the good thing if you're Florida State, not much is expected of you in this game. I think is the spread, it's, last I checked, nearly up to 20 points. So, uh Obviously, the, the depleted roster played a role there, but it'll be interesting. I mean, they have their two linebackers. They have a good bit of their defensive tackle depth. So uh, we, will, uh, we will definitely see how, how things change with uh, the four starters they are going to be down. Yeah, I, I'm kind of asking you to tell me what's inside a mystery box here, but I, I'll, I'll just ask you to give it yeah. your best shot. If FSU wins this short of Georgia just turns into a turnover machine and gives them like four or five turnovers, short of that, What's the formula that gives FSU their most likely scenario to stay in this thing for 60 and try and steal a win? Uh, I mean, I think uh, 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 one of the few things that really works in Florida State's favor, I mean, they're going to have to have success offensively for sure. And they do have most of their offensive line. I think of the eight, eight offensive linemen they really rotated between this year, they have seven in this game. So, that, that unit, I mean, if they're able to give Brock Glenn time, if they're able to establish the run game, which was not the strength of that unit this year. I mean, frankly, I think they, they were a better pass-blocking offensive line than run-blocking. But, I mean, I think it's you want to limit possessions. You want to kind of do what a lot of teams tried to do Florida State this year, shorten the clock, keep the clock running, keep that Georgia offense off the field as much as you can, and try and, try and win a squeaker. 
Going to be interesting for sure for a game that, again, as you noted, the, the spread is really high at this point and seems to be rising. I saw Bruce Feldman nationally pick this game 35-6, but I think all of us still have a, a lot of curiosity about what this is all going to look like. Kurt, appreciate you making some time while you're covering. Again, you can check him out, his work at the Osceola. That's a Rivals outlet. Kurt M. Weiler, the handle on Twitter as well. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate it. There you go. Look from down in South Florida about what's going on with the Knowles. Uh, again, fascinating situation because we haven't had this combo. We've had the combo of tons of guys leaving, but we haven't had this combo of tons of guys leaving at a program that also might be trying to really prove a point to the point where in between when they didn't get what they wanted getting into the playoff and now the school is literally suing its own conference trying to get out of it. So, I mean, you, you've got some super raw feelings Will anybody do anything to demonstrate about that? I have no reason to believe they will, but you couldn't be shocked if they do. Again, it might be an ugly game, but nobody's going to turn their eyes away, I suspect, for most of it. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. We are scheduled, by the way, to check in on the other side of the equation there with Georgia coming up in about 45 minutes. Keep it right here. college football time in the south now back to more of the king of college football chuck oliver on southern sports today it's just a very one-track mind about this game uh right now just have fun with the family and the and the, and the team and the players it's like we're at the happiest place on earth <laughs> uh and we're gonna have we're gonna enjoy ourselves and then and then uh get back to business you know see if we can't dominate today got some some good meetings tonight and and we wake up tomorrow and and uh, and practice. See if we can't dominate that day. That, of course, is the voice of Jim Harbaugh. It was Jim Harbaugh being asked about things like, "Hey, Jim, you're in the same city as the Chargers. Got a lot of connections to San Diego. Any thoughts on whether you and them, with an opening, might have a connection?" Just kept repeating. Just here to enjoy the day. Gonna dominate the day. Try and dominate the day tomorrow. Odd dude. Very odd dude in how he carries himself. You could just say, yeah, guys, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm about to coach in the Rose Bowl, and I am employed by the University of Michigan. So even if my deepest, darkest fantasies involve being the coach of the Chargers and being paid $80 million a year, I'm not going to tell you because I'm literally coaching in the playoffs, in the sport I work in right now. So maybe you could just assume that since I'm not under oath, you're not going to get any information out of me on this subject. So maybe we could just not keep asking. You could have done that. Or you could repeat that that stuff. You, odd, odd dude. Picture yesterday of him at Disney with uh, Saban and Mickey Mouse is in the middle and uh, everybody's wondering, like, you know, hey, is Connor Stallions in the Mickey Mouse suit trying to, like, eavesdrop on uh, anything and trying to see if he can bug Saban's cell phone or whatever? Again, just a lot of people wondering what is going to happen next after the season. And we'll see with Harbaugh. He could very well be on his way to the NFL. But come on, the, the time to ask him is not now. That's that's ridiculous. You're never going to get anything useful out of that. And and when, when guys do that, the only thing I can figure is that they're hoping they're either going to get – a guy to say, I'm staying, so that they can report, coach says he's staying, and then pillory him a couple of weeks later if he's not actually staying, say, oh, that guy lied. 
unless he on his own just went out of his way to say it, if you try to force it out of him and it's creating a situation that makes him so uncomfortable, he's like, yeah, sure, I'm staying. As far, as far as you know, as far as you know, I'll be back. As far as I know, I'll be back. That, that, I just never understood that. And if I ever talked to anybody who's reported, well, you've got to ask. No, you, you really don't. You, you, I promise you really, really don't. Because there is no scenario he's going to tell you anything that could possibly be said in that moment that is honest. If he says he's leaving, it would be the story of the year. He's not going to do that. If he says he's staying, then what do people say? Well, you know, Saban said he was staying with Miami, too. His coaches, they lie. So, so what is the point here? Uh, he takes a blood oath in front of you? Uh, anyway, just a, a frustrating thing. But we'll see whether or not uh, he can win his first playoff game. We will check him in Ann Arbor coming up in about 10 minutes and get some thoughts on that game and, and how they match up. Now they've had time to size up that matchup with Alabama. Uh, one thing, just having talked about FSU, that I would just remind you is you don't know in bowl games kind of what can happen. Sometimes you get surprised by guys. Last night, we got a big surprise in the Trojans bowl game. Them winning against Louisville is not a shock. Louisville has been an odd team all year. They won 10 games, which is good, but a lot of those games were really close games. It wouldn't have been hard at all to imagine them winning a couple of the games they lost, but it also wouldn't have been hard at all to imagine them being a 7-5 and five team this year. It was just a, an interesting team, didn't have a particularly dynamic quarterback. Uh, you knew that the Trojans could win this game, even with the talent they have left, with all the talent they've lost. They had more than enough talent to win the game, if they were mentally invested and interested in playing, and evidently they were. But what we did not anticipate was how they would win the game. With Caleb Williams gone, Miller Moss goes out there, a name a lot of people didn't even know at all. Miller Moss became the first quarterback in USC history with six touchdown passes against a ranked opponent. Had never happened. 371 passing yards, the most from a USC quarterback against the top 15 team since Sam Darnold did it seven years ago. So all of a sudden... You got the Trojans who are trying to get Will Howard to transfer in, and you got some people say, hey, I don't know, you might have your guy right here in Miller Moss. At minimum, he made a persuasive case that he should be considered as somebody who could be the guy who could do the job. We'll see. The other part of that that is interesting is that you've already had some people, I saw somebody in Chicago doing this today, saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. If, if this dude who nobody's really paid any attention to can go off for six touchdowns with Lincoln Riley's offense, how do we know that Caleb Williams is actually good? Maybe Caleb Williams has just been propped up by the offense. This is where I get frustrated with people who don't watch college football. Caleb Williams made so many plays this year, so many plays, that had nothing to do with the structure of Lincoln Riley's offense. He was making plays with his legs. He was making plays with his arms. Uh, they they really one arm. If you made plays with both arms, that would be kind of weird. But but the right arm, he made a lot of plays with. Uh, he was making so many plays. It had absolutely nothing to do with Lincoln Riley's offense. Does Riley have a great scheme? Sure. There's a reason he's had so many guys have success in his scheme. But if your only takeaway from someone else having a big game in the scheme is, oh, this this just shows that the guy that might be the number one pick in the draft probably is overrated because someone else could do it. That that just tells me you're not somebody who watches enough college football. I was a little, little frustrated seeing that today as a take from out of Chicago. But again, they're debating who their quarterback should be, whether it should be Justin Fields or whether it should be Williams, and they'll have plenty of time to to chew on that. I just thought that was a particularly weak take. But it does make Moss somebody now that let's just say that they do get that Will Howard transfer. 
If Will Howard transfers in from K-State, he's probably transferring in to be the guy, right? If you're Miller Moss, now that you did what you did in that bowl game, are you a guy people go crazy for in the portal? With what you showed you could do? It's possible somebody might be really interested in you now. And that's where I go back to Tate Rodemaker not playing in this game against Georgia. You could have had a big showing and really boosted your profile. This kid did. 